Gospels. Turn to Luke chapter 24. We have way too much fun here. Let me, uh, my wife asked me this week if I would review what we're doing. Uh, what I've been preaching, the series we've been on, because some of you haven't been here for the whole time. She said, she had gone back and was reviewing, she said, I get sometimes so focused on the last thing you said that I forget the bigger picture. And so let me give you a review real quick. We start off the year feeling like what God was wanting is, and what we had a desire for was more of the flow of the Holy Spirit, more of the supernatural. Uh, too often we start the year and we look for new things. What's the new thing God's doing? And what we've concluded is that it might be a new level of what he's doing, but he's not doing something new. He still has a heart to see people come to Jesus to uh, increase the anointing of his spirit to see the gospel preached with signs and wonders. And so uh, that was our goal. We talked early on about removing roadblocks, things that stop the flow of the spirit, unconfessed sin, unforgiveness. Then we moved on to tearing down strongholds. Strongholds meaning dams or things that, uh, bulwarks that stop or hinder and they have to do with what we believe. Last week we talked about religion as one of those strongholds. And so we're really looking to a releasing of the supernatural, releasing of the gifts of the Spirit. We'll talk about that healing, signs and wonders. That's where we're getting to. Unfortunately, because many of us come from many different backgrounds, I felt constrained in the Spirit that we had to lay a, a foundation and sometimes there is a pulling down and an uprooting before there is a planting and a building. And so sometimes we have to deal with the, the hindrances so we can flow with what the Holy Spirit is saying. So we want to continue with that this morning. We'll talk about uprooting disappointment. Holy Spirit, we're dependent on you. Thank you for all that you've said and done already. Thank you that you're at work. We're just uh, amazed as we enjoy your presence. We're amazed at what you do. We're amazed, Holy Spirit, that you're working through all of us. And we open our hearts to you to hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. We're going to start there. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day. This is the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, so it was Easter. I'm getting an early start on my Easter message. I, uh, just an aside, I read something today, uh, yesterday that someone said they find it a bit distressing that so many people are acting like washing your hands is a new thing. Yes. <laughs> that was my attempt at a joke today. As I said, those of you who weren't here when we started, this is a no fear zone. There's no place for fear because perfect love casts out fear. The presence of God casts out fear. 
And in his presence is fullness of joy. So it's a joyful place. So no fear and joy. That's a good combination. In the midst of a world that is dominated by fear and often hopelessness. We have a reason for the hope that's within us. I'm not talking about what I came to. (laughs) Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem, and they talked together of all those things which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. I hope that's never us, that we don't recognize his presence when he comes alongside of us. We get so focused on the events, the things happening that our eyes are blinded. I hope that's never us. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? He could tell right away that they were sad. And the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And Jesus, being coy, says, what things? This is Jesus. He just rose from the dead. Tell me, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Who's he? who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. See, they're identifying their state. They had been hoping, and they're sad because they're facing this disappointment. They had a certain expectation of how Jesus was going to come and he was literally going to redeem Israel. He was gonna set up a new government. He was gonna be a new king in Israel and we were hoping. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus was actually telling them everything in the Bible about himself. And when they drew near to the village where they were going, he indicated that he would have gone farther and they constrained him saying, abide with us. For it's toward evening, and the day is far spent, and he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked with us on the road, 
and while he opened the scriptures to us, there's something of our heart's witness to the truth of the word of God. There's something of a stirring that happens when we understand rightly God's ways. There's a hunger. I just like hearing. I just like hearing. I just like hearing about Jesus. So they rose up that very hour and we returned to Jerusalem. They just spent most of the day walking to Emmaus and they're having dinner. Jesus is seen to them. They realize it and so they get up and they run back to Jerusalem, the seven miles again, back and found the 11 who were there and with them gathered together and saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon and uh, they, they were saying that, and they told them the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. And he said to them, peace to you. When we gather together, Jesus himself is in the midst. And he says, but they were terrified and frightened Supposing that they had seen a ghost or a spirit. Jesus had told them he was going to raise from the dead, but they didn't actually believe it. And even when it happened, they weren't sure. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now he's speaking not to him being there, but to the bigger picture. He's saying, you had hopes and things didn't turn out how you thought they would. And now your heart's troubled, it's stirred up, it's upset, and doubts are arising in your heart. I think he's talking about disappointment. When we have an expectation, and God doesn't seem to do what we think he should or what we thought he would, or what we hoped he would. I want you to understand, disappointment is one of the strongholds that can rob our faith and limit the flow of the Holy Spirit. We all face disappointments, and when it comes to moving in the supernatural, we're going to face more. Different kind of disappointment. When I was 13 years old, my dad died of lung cancer. Now you have to understand the background story. My mom took us to, to church. She used to teach a, a weekly Bible class. I accepted the Lord when I was eight. My whole family got saved, but my dad didn't. And we prayed for him to come to know Jesus. And then he ended up with lung cancer. He was a smoker, smoked all his life. Ended up with lung cancer. And I was convinced that God was using this to get his attention so he would get saved. And after getting very, very sick, uh, he was actually in the hospital for the last six months of his life. And at that point, in a cancer hospital in the, the 1960s, children weren't allowed to go in. So I didn't see my dad. Well, I saw him once in the last six months of his life. But he came to know Jesus. He gave his heart to the Lord, and I was absolutely convinced that now that he had, God was going to heal him. 
and he died. And in the midst of all the grief and the funeral and life, I just kind of stuffed that disappointment inside and never dealt with it. I just kind of pretended didn't. Guys are good at that, huh? Pretend it doesn't exist. It goes behind the, the curtain. Whoop, close the curtain. Kind of like uh, some of us, you put something in a drawer. You never see it again. No idea where it is. It's as if it doesn't exist. I just did that emotionally until uh, much later, my early teens uh, began to see, got filled with the Spirit, began to see something of the supernatural, began to pray for people, and God would heal them. And all of a sudden, this thing began to come out from behind the curtain. And uh, I remember praying, Lord, your word says in all you're getting, get understanding. Lord, I want to understand. Help me understand what happened. And didn't right away. I had to press into God for myself. But what I realized at that time is that if disappointment doesn't get dealt with in God, it be, begins to infect our souls. It becomes almost like a festering wound that leads to doubt and robs us of faith. Someone once observed that in talking with a number of atheists, they found that many atheists have had disappointments with God. They expected God to do something and he didn't. Why did he let my mother die? And the offense of the disappointment often became, began to infect them to the point where they not only lost faith, but they became anti-God. So I want to talk to you about dealing with disappointment. Briefly, don't want to go long because God's big. But I'm going to give you four points. This is not the whole framework, but it's just something to help you. First point is this. If you're going to deal with disappointment, you've got to be honest with God and with yourself. You have to be honest and say, God, I feel disappointed it feels like you let me down and didn't keep your promises. Now, I know that my perceptions and feelings are wrong because you're always good. But please heal my heart. Jesus said something amazing. He says, you have not because you ask not. Why don't we get healed? Because we don't ask for healing of those things. To be honest enough to say, God, my dad died. I thought he was going to get healed, and he wasn't. Now, I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke something to me that wasn't completely great theology. I'm going to tell you why at the end here, but I felt like he said, or at least my, my thinking went this way, that it took him so much to get him to a place of responding to Jesus and to overcome the, uh, 
attractions of the world that once he responded, God took him. Now that raises all kinds of other theological questions. And, and I'll get to that later on. But the first point is being honest with God and yourself. You can't just stuff disappointment. You can't pretend it didn't happen. I was praying for this person and they died. I was praying for this person and they weren't healed. I felt God told me to marry this person and then they were unfaithful. I felt God led me to this church. Not this church. This church, whatever church. And then I was terribly disappointed, hurt. I felt God led me in this direction and it seemed like the whole thing fell apart. Now we think that by acknowledging that we're disappointed, we're accusing God. We're not going to get there because don't ever accuse God. Okay, it's not if God it fell apart, you're terrible. No, it's I don't understand. But it's being honest. Being honest that I don't understand. And then after being honest, there's something of listening to God. Which basically is just his word and his voice. Sometimes God speaks to us. Sometimes he gives us understanding. Sometimes he doesn't. But the third point is simple this. Receive his grace. Receive his peace. Sometimes we just need to give up our right to understand. And we just need to run to him for comfort. Sometimes I feel like I need to be just a little kid. And run to my daddy and crying. And say I was mistreated. Comfort me. My intellectual brain wants to figure it all out. But it's often not my intellectual brain that's hurt. It's my emotion. And my emotion just needs to be comforted. And he can do that. And then lastly, feed your heart correctly. Now what that means is focus on what God is doing, not what God hasn't done. I prayed for someone and they didn't get healed and that becomes my whole focus. And I totally ignore the dozens who've experienced something of God. My mind gets focused on this disappointment and it becomes everything that my heart is feeding on. And pretty soon, it robs my faith. But the reality is, God's at work. See, dwelling on what God is not doing opens us up to the spirit of offense. Have you ever had anybody, you talk about healing, and someone says, but my cousin didn't get healed. Explain that, will you? Does God not love them? Does God really heal? And we get so focused on what God isn't doing, that we miss what God is doing. And, and unfortunately, that offense can lead to unbelief. 
Hence the atheists who often have had a disappointment. Now let me kind of digress for a moment. Because Proverbs 4.7, which was the scripture that I referred to earlier, says, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. I believed the Bible, and I approached God with that. God, it says, in all you're getting, get understanding. Will you give me some understanding? And the problem is, I didn't realize till much later that I wanted answers to my questions within the framework of my existing understanding. I have a certain way of I'm seeing God, certain things I believe, and I'm wanting God to answer my questions about why my dad died within that framework. See, I was raised in an evangelical church, as I've shared, had a very academic approach to God. It was about doctrine more than about relationship. It was about right beliefs and right understanding more than it was about intimacy. I didn't realize it at the time, but that was my approach. So I approached healing from that same academic foundation. If I know more, I'll see the supernatural. If I study this area, something will happen. And that's the answer I was looking for. That was the framework that I was looking for God to answer my questions. Thing is, God did. Very gracious, graciously, very patiently, and very slowly over the next 40 years, he totally rebuilt my foundation to answer my question. I wasn't expecting that. But he's so much bigger than we understand him to be, that I understood him to, to be. It took 40 years. Now I realize it's not what I know. It's who I know. It's not my knowledge of healing that releases the supernatural. Jesus is still the healer today. And it's knowing him. And why we're in the midst of this series. Why the ingredients for releasing the supernatural were relationship, revolution, revelation. Relationship, revelation, and response. We're, we're talking about that. I mentioned that a few, uh, few weeks ago. That's why we're doing a relational theology course on Wednesday nights. I'm trying to save you 40 years. <laughs> now that's pretty arrogant because you're probably not as slow as I am. And so it might only take you 20 years. But see, too often our understanding of God is off, and he's got to rebuild that. I use the illustration on Wednesday night of an iceberg. 
huge iceberg, only 10% is above the water, 90% is under the water. Often what we believe about God is this stuff under the water, and we're often taught things that aren't actually what the Bible says. And so we ask questions, which is the 10% above the water, and we ask questions, and we expect God to answer within that framework. This is how I understand things. Answer this. And God says, yeah, I can, but I've got to rebuild all of this because you've got some filters. You've got some things that aren't right in your understanding about me and how I work. So God had to start all over for me because I was raised in this academic approach. I didn't really understand anything of relationship. In fact, the church I grew up in, if you said you heard God's voice, we would call for the men in the white suits to come and take you away in the ambulance to the hospital because you obviously were crazy. I'm one of those crazies now after 40 years of rebuilding to believe that God still speaks today. Now, if you haven't figured it out, there were a number of words this morning about God wanting to deal with by his love. Fear, hurts, disappointments. I actually wasn't sure I was going to preach this morning. I just had a sense of God doing something by his spirit. And then as everything flowed together, I realized, okay, God is doing something by his spirit. And I actually heard part of that this week. And this is part of it. We all face disappointments. I'm going to ask you if you bow your head. Just so you're not distracted by anyone else. Will you be honest with God this morning for the disappointments, the hurts? Maybe it was something big, like someone you expected to be healed, not getting healed, or like my dad dying. Maybe it was a hurt in a church. Maybe it was a hurt by someone. And the problem is we often think we're healed, but there's still a suspicion. I'm not going to trust people. I'm not going to be open with people. I'm not actually going to pray for the sick because sometimes not everyone's healed. That was me. When I got filled with the Spirit, I began to pray for people, and they got healed. And about six months later, I had an experience where someone I prayed for didn't get healed. And I got angry. I was upset at God. Now, what I realized is that I wanted a 100% success rate because of my pride. See, part of my wrong thinking was that this was happening because of my knowledge. And therefore, I'm quite, quite special when I pray for someone and they get healed. And God was just actually showing me it has nothing to do with that. And I'm not special when they get healed. He's special. 
But whatever your disappointment, would you bring it out from behind the curtain? And just be honest with God. And then when you just give it to him. And can you just receive his peace this morning? See, we don't always understand While your head is still bowed, let me read you the end of that scripture, Luke 24, verse 44. He said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things might be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. He said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations. Their expectation was it was for Israel. We had hoped. He said, no, you missed it. It's for everyone. It's for all the nations. His plan was bigger, and sometimes we get focused on us, and we say, God, you didn't do what I expected. He said, but I have a bigger purpose. And sometimes you won't see that till later. But sometimes we just need his peace poured out in our hearts. Jesus said something amazing. He said, my peace I give to you. He gives peace. Not as the world gives. For the world, peace is based on circumstances. If everything goes well, I feel good. I'm at peace. He says it has nothing to do with the circumstance. It has to do with coming in to him. It's not what you know, it's who you know. He pours his peace upon us. Can you allow him to do that this morning? Where there's been disappointment as you run to him, where the things you had hoped and the expectations you had weren't met. And maybe you don't understand. Maybe you still don't understand. Maybe you're in that 40-year process that it took me. But you don't have to wait till you understand to receive his peace. See, it's not based on what you know. It's based on who you know. And as you run to him, As we uh, finish with a song, we'll uh, just allow the Holy Spirit to finish off what he's doing. Amen? Why don't you stand?